Welcome to the 29th episode of the Cranky Flyer interview. This week I am again going north of the border. I'm talking to Stephen Jones, CEO of Flare Airlines. It has been, shall we say, unsettled up in Canada, with a whole bunch of new ultra-low-cost carriers trying to make a place for themselves, and Flare seems to be ahead of the curve so far with a whole bunch of airplanes. Listen in as Stephen and I talk about Flair's plans. All right, so Stephen, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Uh, the The Canadian market is really interesting these days, to put it mildly, I would say. Um, you know, you, you have a lot of moving pieces, right? You, you've, of course, had the issues during the pandemic where everything remained closed and even restrictions on flying went well into 2022. Uh, and then you have WestJet refocusing in the West. Uh, you have Flair uh, growing. You have Jetline starting. You have Lynx starting. Uh, you have the WestJet, the Sunwing acquisition. There's a lot going on here. And so where I'd like to start with Flair is just how do you see your position in Canada? Where do you carve out your niche in the Canadian market? Yeah, it's a really a really active market, that's for sure. And um, I guess when I when I think about an answer for that question, I would think about what's this going to look like ten years from now. You know, what will this industry look like? Because we're clearly in a in a period of transition. You know, this isn't a stable state. Um, and so, what's the industry going to look like ten years from now? And and to inform that, I guess you just have to look around the world and look at other markets that have been through similar processes and similar periods of change. And and if I look at that, I would say that two things are certain to me. The first thing that's certain to me is Air Canada is still going to be around. You know, you're going to have the flag carrier global network um, business model. And uh, I think we've seen that the Canadian government will ensure that Air Canada is still here 10 years from now. The other thing that's certain to me is that there will be a big ULCC successful in the bottom part, you know, the leisure-focused part of the market, which is anywhere between, you know, if you look around the world at comparables, anywhere between 35 and 50% of the seats in the market will be serviced by ultra-low-cost carriers, carrier or carriers. Um, The thing that's much less certain is what happens to all the people in the middle. Um, And I think, you know, my view and I guess been informed by a few too many years in, in the business is, you have to be one thing or the other. And so the, the airlines that are, are neither at the top, so not Air Canada, and they're not an ultra-low-cost carrier, they have to question where their future is. And I think we've seen that. You know, I think we've seen uh, you know, two of the, the leisure carriers, Transat and, and Sunwing, both effectively put themselves up for sale. Um, you know, Transat with Air Canada, Sunwing now with WestJet. Uh, we see WestJet sort of swinging its strategy back from you know the ambitions of being a global network carrier to coming back to being a Western Province focused um, leisure carrier and consolidating a bunch of brands under that. So, so I think you'll have Air Canada for sure and the ULCC at the bottom for sure. The rest in the middle is uncertain. Um, where does Flair want to be in that? Clearly, we want to be the successful ULCC. Um, we've got a, a great start to that, but we certainly don't take it for granted. Um, I think the only 
thing that can ensure that we will be that successful ULCC is by managing our cost base you know, incredibly tightly. We've got to have the lowest uh, cost of production. The leisure market is effectively a commodity market. And I think, you know, if you look at commodity markets around the world, um, and my start was in oil and gas and methanol and things like that. So in the commodity markets, the lowest cost producer wins. And that's the same philosophy that, uh, that I would bring to this is if we control our costs, we can offer the lowest prices. Lowest prices allow us to stimulate demand um, and win market share, which allows us to grow, which allows us in turn to further drop our prices. So, so yeah, we would, um, we would see ourselves clearly as the URCC of the future for Canada. Okay, and, and this really is a a new innovation in Canada. Um, it, it seems you know a bit behind a lot of the other parts of the world here, right? And, and even the U.S. you could say is well behind Europe or, or Asia, uh, but Canada is even behind that. So you have all these airlines coming out, whether it's Lynx, Jetlines, I don't know if you count Swoop. Uh, you know how how does that? work from a competitive level where you have a lot of money coming into the country, into these airlines that are getting started. Uh, is it a matter of, of just building something that is sustainable and then outlasting the others because they're, they're going to burn through the money? Or, you know, how, how do you look at that when you have such a, a dynamic, changing market? So yeah, I, I also group swoop with WestJet and having, you know, my time at Air New Zealand, where I ran Freedom Air, which was the airline within an airline, that's a very difficult place to be. And so um, I would really focus on on Lynx as the other one that's a, a serious player in the zone. Jetlines, to their own admission, um, is not trying to be a ULCC. They define themselves somewhat differently. Um, but Lynx is a is a you know is a credible airline backed by um, credible players. They've got good management team. Um, They've got the same aircraft as us, the same business model as us, and um, and the only difference really at the moment is one of scale. Uh, you know, we've got a couple of years of growth in front of them, but um, you know, they're, they're clearly a very good competitor, and and will keep us um, keep us honest. Okay, so you see, I mean, the real differentiator now, of, of course, there's there's network, um, but it's scale at this point. Is just how can you grow to to get your costs down further than the others yeah scale to get costs down but also you know the customer um, resonance you know so the brand awareness you know we've got close to 40 percent brand awareness across canada now we've got a network that spans the market um and so what is the you know customers alignment with you as a brand and as an airline and how that also allows you to drive um drive your growth so um you know the the scale brings both of those things so there's a first mover advantage here. Yeah, you know, and we start to get some depth into the schedule. So next summer we'll be four times a day between Vancouver and Toronto. You know, four times a day Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton. So you start to get some itinerary options also um, built into. It's a a virtuous circle, I guess. Yeah, and you've really done some interesting things. You you've gone into some U.S. markets that. Maybe others haven't been interested in. You could talk about Burbank, or um, mm -hmm. which didn't work, of course. <laughs> or you got into LAX. Yeah. Uh, but then um, you know you have uh, some Nashville, and then there's this this Tucson operation that you're doing as well. And so, 
How do you view the U.S. as as part of the strategy? Yes, so our our overall geographic footprint would be Canada, the U.S., Mexico, Caribbean. Um, You know, you certainly won't see us going transatlantic and, you know, even to... I know, or you might be able to get some 787s. (laughs) You never know. (laughs) Um, But the U.S. is a very important part of it. So in the summer, there's a lot of east-west flying as, as domestic Canada really lights up. But in the winter, it's cold as hell in parts of Canada and people want to go somewhere warm. And so we swing the compass um, north-south and, and start to open up some of those those um, sun destinations. The U.S. is not purely about sun for us, but obviously in the in the winter, it really opens up more to the point we'd have probably 30% of our seats going um, into the U.S. over the winter versus maybe only 10% in the summer. Um, and yeah, we have tried a few different things because we do have to manage airport cost. You know, if you think about uh, being a ULCC and what are the controllable costs, um, airport costs are one of the big ones. And you make those, you control those costs um, through your network decisions and your negotiation with airports. And Burbank was a really great um, ULCC airport. Uh, you know, it's actually very well located in LA, as I'm, I'm sure you know. Um, but it just didn't quite connect with the customers in terms of people actually making the link. Um, okay, I'm going to LA, let me look for Burbank. And um, we we really tried it, but then also at the same time, we're seeing some really good revenue premiums coming out of markets like San Francisco to SFO. Um, and so when the opportunity came to um, to move the LA operation to LAX, uh, we effectively took the view that the revenue premium would offset the, the slight cost increase. And you can't do that in, in all of your network, but in this case, that's the decision we've chosen. Um, Nashville's interesting. It's got some great connections with um, you know the Edmontons and Calgarys in terms of the, uh, the country music and just a, a great place to go to. Um, but Tucson, you know, we've kind of reversed the logic there. We've said, well, if we can get a good enough deal, we can station an aircraft down in Tucson and fly directly point to point to markets that would never otherwise get direct sun connections. So the Lethbridges and Grand Prairies and, you know, the, these parts of the of Canada that wouldn't have a direct flight, they'd have to go through one of the other um, airports. By putting an, air, an aircraft in Tucson, we can actually connect those directly and, um, and create service that others couldn't create. So really good innovation from our, our networks team there. On the Tucson one, that's particularly interesting to me because it is creative and different. Um, you know, there is that issue where when you have the aircraft based in Tucson, it may not make for the the perfect uh, timings for someone coming from Canada, where they may want to go in the morning and return later. Uh, but it's the only nonstop, right? So <laughs> that's that's the trade off. Right. Can you talk about how that's been booking up so far for this year? Yeah, so it's starting to to light up now. It was it got a little bit of a slow start, but we're really starting to connect with. Uh, with customers on it now. We're working with the cities in Canada as well as they help us with that marketing um, and with Tucson themselves. In fact, this week, our marketing team are are physically um, in Tucson working with the the local um, tourism boards there. So it's it's going okay. It's going well. It's really joining the communities at either end of the flight um, to make it work. Sure. Now, if we look ahead to next summer, so you already, I was on the call recently where you were talking about your initial 
tranche of service for next summer. You had mentioned, uh, you know, increasing frequency on existing markets, uh, trying to fill that out. I know there's more to it that's coming, it sounds like, though. So, you know, are, are we going to see more destinations? Is, is it more in the U.S.? Is it more in Canada? Is it Caribbean? Where do you think we're going to see focus for next next summer and beyond? Yeah, so we did deliberately in our first year go pretty broad with the network footprint. Um, and this year is actually bit more about some depth rather than breadth, as, as you know. Um but we will be we'll be adding some new destinations, and I think we'll see some US. We'll see more Canada, um, but it's not going to be a, a really sort of you won't see the same level of of growth to new destinations as you have done in the last eighteen months. But yeah, there'll, there'll be a little bit of each. No Caribbean yet, but um, but it's possible. It, it's absolutely. it's in your range. <laughs> oh, it's in our range. Yeah, no, and it's in our it's in our strategy. It's just it won't be in this this round of announcements. Well, that's probably more of a winter strategy anyway, I suppose, as opposed yeah, to summer. Exactly. Yeah. So where are you now with the fleet? How many aircraft do you have flying today? And, and you have an order for, well, remind, remind me the numbers. <laughs> yeah. So we're at 19 aircraft flying today. Um, so three of our original NGs and then another 16 brand new Maxes. Um, and so the Max 8 aircraft has been a, a really fantastic addition. Um the plan is still to get to 50 aircraft by 2025, so that's a plan that we put in place um, in late 2020, and you know it seemed very ambitious at the time to grow so quickly, but here we are today, um, two years in, 40% of the plan done, um, and so we're just going to continue with that growth, roughly 10 aircraft a year. Okay, and th- those are all on order now? Those are not options, or like these are firm orders? So... We haven't ordered them directly ourselves from Boeing, um, but one of our shareholders and and, um, and supporters, uh, 777 Partners, have a big order book with Boeing, and we've been able to access aircraft either directly from that initially, or where they've been able to um, connect us you know, with those aircraft to other third-party lessors, and we've leased the aircraft from them. So the, the whole fleet is leased. So you're more just following the market, you know, you, you have a plan, but it's very flexible then, if if need be. It is, but I, I don't see any reason to um, to move off it. You know, it feels like the, the right speed of growth, you know, just the ability to sort of ingest that growth. The first 18 months have been tough, you know. You're adding, you know, going from one aircraft flying in April 2021 to 19 today. Um, you know, it's been a hell of a ride in terms of just adding pilots, adding cabin crew. Each year as we get bigger, the additional 10 aircraft obviously represents a smaller proportion of the total and therefore a bit more manageable. But um, it's, uh, I think, yeah, 10, 10 aircraft a year is, is a good rate for us. All right. Now, one of the issues in Canada, especially in the winter, I guess, when you're trying to head south, is you have to deal with all the taxes, uh, you know, crossing borders, mm-hmm. something that... Allegiant has done very well pulling people across the border mm. into a variety of, you know, almost Canadian airports to to save money on that. Mm-hmm. Is this and, and then of course you have Navcan and and you know all these other fairly high fees that, that you have to absorb. So is this something that you see any potential movement on uh, or is this just the cost of doing business and and it is what it is? 
Look, I, I think it's largely the latter. It's largely the cost of doing business. I mean, we try and mitigate it in terms of our um, negotiations with airports on the AIF, the airport improvement fees, and, and really trying to keep those under control because that's something that is, you know, it's able to be negotiated. Um, but the rest is is just part of doing business. And, you know, maybe it comes back to your question is why hasn't there been a ULCC in the past in Canada? And lots of people have always said, oh, Canada's different. The airports are so expensive. The you know, NAVCAN's so expensive. But those things only account for a small proportion of the difference in what you would expect a proper ULCC airfare to be and what Canadians have had to put up with historically. So, you know, 800 bucks to fly for two hours in economy, um, you know, just it just shouldn't be like that. That's not explained by slightly higher airport fees or some slightly higher um, taxes that comes through. It's it's just been um, a duopoly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, when you're looking at how you're growing here, I mean, obviously you have to be responsive. Uh, you know, we talked about the dynamic market. I didn't even mention Porter getting a bunch of jets, <laughs> right? And we don't even know where those are going yet. So, you know, how, how do you, how far out do you really make your plans here? Because you don't really quite know what the rest of the market will look like at any given time. And it's changing so rapidly. Yeah. You can only control the things you can control. Um, and so we make our plan based on our experience and our analysis of the market. And as I say, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a big ULCC um, in Canada 10 years from now. And we know how to run a ULCC and, and we're getting after that, you know, controlling our costs and what will happen to others will happen to others. And if we have to modify the, um, the path to either grow faster because someone's disappeared or, you know, competition really heats up and we, we have to do things differently, then we'll deal with that at the time. But it's um it's a such a proven formula is keep your costs low, keep the business model simple, and um and just keep your head down, keep doing it. Drive good customer service. You know, being low cost doesn't mean low quality or you know poor service. It's brand new aircraft, smiling staff, um, being very clear about what we are and what we're not. You know, and so actually there's a, a process here of kind of educating the Canadian public on what life you know, traveling with ULCCs is like, and it's spontaneous travel, you know, is something that people aren't used to here because it's been too expensive. So what do you mean I can go to Montreal for the weekend to see my mates or go see that concert or football game or go to see the family three or four times a year or, you know, whatever it is. People just weren't in that mindset when it's 800 bucks one way. Uh, but when it's 150 or $69 to Toronto, you can do it. And so, um, so there's that, that process of, of education and then also, you know, the rules, you know, okay, this is your bag policy, this is, and it will be enforced. And so you don't need to take four pairs of shoes on that trip. You can probably get away with one or two and that's a weekend. So, so just getting people into the, into the ULCC mindset, you know, whereas if you, you go to Europe or US, you know, people know how to work an airport process in ULCC world, you know, they're lining up. 20 minutes before the aircraft even arrives at the gate, ready to go. So, yeah, it's it, it's it must be interesting. It, it's sort of like discovering a new uh, <laughs> a new world and opening people's eyes to it. I mean, of course, they've they've been exposed to it by coming to the U.S. and and things like that. But it but I'm sure there's still much more that needs to be done, especially if if they don't live right near the border. Uh, it probably makes it even harder for them to to take advantage of that. 
So you expect Air Canada will be there. I don't think anyone would say otherwise. And you expect there to be a need for a large ULCC or AULCC market of some sort. Do you have that long-term vision of how big the market really could be in terms of, you know, aircraft. I'm not just talking 2025. Canada is a small market, but it's a market of people who like to get out of there, (laughs) especially in the winter. So, you know, how how do you view that as, as the, uh, the potential market size? So the reference point I I have for that is 2019, which I guess, you know, pre COVID, what was the level of domestic air travel going on at that time? And there was about 46 million trips taken by Canadians domestically. And so if you convert that into narrow-body aircraft equivalent, how many you know, 737s would it take to service the 46 million um, trips? It comes out to about 210 you know, narrow-body aircraft in, to service the entire market. If you then go, well, somewhere between a third and a half of that is leisure. You know, it's the market accessible to the ULCCs. You get anywhere between, you know, 70 and, you know, 85, 90 aircraft worth of of addressable market in 2019, domestic only. So then as you project forward, you have to add to that the transporter and you have to add to that the effect of economic growth and therefore the market growth, but importantly, the effect of stimulation. You know, so you very quickly get to a leisure market segment size that's 110, 120 aircraft. Um, and you know, there's, there's plenty of growth in, in there for Flair. Okay. Well, that's good. Uh, that's the market you want to be in, one <laughs> that has growth potential. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so can you talk about uh, just within the different Canadian markets, have you seen – Different receptions? Have, have you seen better success in certain cities than others? And, you know, is there a way you can describe why that might be? We, we have, uh, and yet it's not, you know, I wouldn't say, for example, oh, we've only done better out of the small airports, you know, because we fly into Kitchener-Waterloo, we fly into Abbotsford. Um, but we also do very well on, you know, Vancouver, Toronto, the, the trunk routes um, we do very well on as well. And so um, we do experiment. I mean, we're very analytical as a, as a business, the, the networks team. And I know, you know, Eric and Garth and some of those guys that really great analytical skills. But ultimately, you have to try things. You have to put some metal in the air and, and see um, how it goes or at least get seats on sale. Um, and we've been quick to recognise what does work and what doesn't, and to back back. Yeah, for example, we had Vancouver Anchorage um, launch, and it just wasn't booking the way that we expected it to, despite all of our analysis. And we pulled it before we even started flying. So you have to actually, you know, think about it as a portfolio of routes and and um, feed the winners and and you know cut the losers. And so um, we do. Yeah, very well out of Kitchener Waterloo. I think it's a it's a great place for us. It was neglected by the mainline carriers previously. It was you know one flight a day I think out of there previously, and we've got twelve different cities going out of um, Kitchener Waterloo, and some of them are absolute um, you know absolute rippers. As I say, we've got markets the mainline markets that do okay. There's other markets that are you know sort of struggling, and we'll. You know, either they've either got to earn their keep or we'll drop them. 
you've got to give the market a little bit of time and you've got to spend money marketing, um, but we won't tolerate ongoing losses. So there's not necessarily a, a specific type of market or, or something that you can look to. It's it's just very situational, just all over the map. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, we've unlocked Deer Lake, for example, which was very difficult to get to um, Newfoundland. Um, and now, and you know, that booked incredibly well. And then all of a sudden, you know, Swoop came into the market. And now the, you know, the connectivity that's building um, in markets like that um, is really good. We've got Edmonton Airport has been, um, it's long been our, our home base, I guess. Um, they've been very supportive. And Edmonton, Nashville, you know, so markets that would you just wouldn't have expected. Um, but the bulk of our, of our, well, a good proportion is still on the classic trunk markets. That deep, you can add four times a day into a Vancouver, Toronto without swamping the market. Yeah, and, and that's, I mean, you have how many wide bodies on that? <laughs> you have, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, here Canada's got them on there, maybe Transat, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there's, there's a ton of capacity on those for sure. So you can mm-hmm. sneak in there, I suppose. Uh, well, this is all good. So I don't, what metrics do you share with people about success? Or is, is there anything that you're really publicly uh, talking about, about how things are going? No, we're, we're a private company. Um, and so, and obviously we operate in an incredibly competitive environment. So we, um, we keep our powder, powder dry as much as possible. But I would say that the numbers of aircrafts speak for themselves. And you look at our load factors. Um, you know, so people are traveling on FLIR. People are starting to get it. And uh, just anecdotally, you know, there's so many people that are talking about the experience that they've had. And it's been far from perfect. You know, I have to say we've had a, a, a rough beginning of summer as um, all of the airport environment was very tough. So we've been far from perfect in a customer sense. But people are starting to travel. And so I think that's the metric I look at is how many people are we getting into the ULCC franchise um, and, uh, and what's their experience? Did you see any noticeable lift when Canada finally got rid of all the remaining restrictions? It certainly, it was more of a, a sort of sigh of relief. I don't know that we've seen numbers actually boost up that much, but, you know, just the feeling of freedom, you know, to finally be able to sort of rip that mask off. Um, because it was one of the last places in Canada that you actually needed it was, was still airports and aircraft. So, Yes, I flew to Canada this summer and it was very strange being in crowded places with no masks, but on mm. the airplane... You could not do that. Same with the train. Yeah. It was very strange. Yeah. Uh, so that's good. But also the arrive can experience was, I think, really challenging and the potential for random testing and, and all mm-hmm. those types of things um, certainly are deterrents. So to have those gone, I think, is is probably helpful. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So are you convinced? Is Flair going to be one of the big survivors? You have to admit it was fun to listen to how he talks about some of the market dynamics there. Anyway, thanks for listening. Until next time.